Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast. Excited to be bringing you a conversation I recently had with Vlad Revniaga. I think you'll enjoy the conversation, getting to know Vlad, a little bit of his story, and then sort of how he approaches the game. I also want to uh, thank some of our recent interviewees, Joe Bernard and Matt Hamilton and John Redding. If you haven't heard those interviews, I strongly recommend going back and taking a listen to those. Uh, just great guys and great stuff there. And they've also had some really good results since coming onto the program. So I think there's a, a strong relationship. Uh, also, just a quick uh, thank you to the Free Poker Network. If you don't know anything about them, I would say check them out if you're looking for a free game in your area. It's a great chance to learn the game, get to know some other people, and work on different aspects of your game, and ultimately, playing for free, you could find yourself in Vegas playing for a seat at a World Series of Poker event. So that's a, a great program, and they've been very supportive of the Rec Poker Podcast. So with that, why don't we uh, join the conversation that I had with Vlad. All right, well, greetings. I'm here with Vlad Revniaga. Is that how you actually pronounce that is oh. correct. Oh, you're that's looking actually, like I'm actually butchering it. No, no, no. That's actually impressive. I'm impressed. Okay. Oh, that is correct. I've been practicing all the way here. I was <laughs> driving to your place. I'm like, Revniaga, Revnaga. No, no. Yes, <laughs> just trying to practice. But, but I've got to know you just a little bit. I'd say we're poker acquaintances, but mm -hmm. but mostly because you've been generous and you've been involved with All in for Africa. Mm -hmm. So that's how I've gotten to know you a little bit. You've been a bounty in that thing mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, very well-respected young player in the game here in Minnesota. You. So super excited that you're willing to take the time and, Not a problem. and give away all your secrets. <laughs> of, course, of course. Of course. Of course. That's why we're here. But just maybe just get started. Just give us a bit of a idea of your background. How did you get into poker? What sort of games are you playing now? Where do you play? What kind of frequency? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit of your, your poker story. If you sure, will. sure. Not a problem. Yeah, I started playing uh, probably a, a common story. Um, actually, before college, I'd say during the moneymaker boom, I guess, when poker was really blowing up on ESPN. And um, just got into it because we had off-campus lunch in high school, so uh, we'd always gather at like, a friend's house, and they would A, have poker on in the background and then play like a sit and go or whatever where I didn't really know what was going on but I just found it interesting so started toying around with like party poker with like playing money basically and then um just since I lived so close to Canterbury because I went to Burnsville High School when I turned 18 I you know played Limit Hold'em that was my first real exposure to poker so that was like my, you know, the beginning part of it. I, I don't know if I was really in love with it right away or, you know, I just liked the, you know, the feeling that I could control what I'm doing more or less, that I was playing against people, not the house. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say in college when I met um, still one of my best friends, Brant Wolf, that's when I got into online poker. He was playing on uh, Full Tilt Poker Stars at the time. And I'd say that's probably when I fell in love with poker uh, once I really learned about online poker um i wasn't i mean looking back on it now i thought it was good you know but i wasn't very good yeah but um it's kind of one of those things where like i, I wish i knew now what i knew then because <laughs> I, I wasn't very motivated back then but yet i had all the freedom in the world um with you know obviously college no responsibilities etc but um <laughs> did you say college no responsibilities <laughs> yeah, yeah basically um but yeah and then when uh, you know i i did have some decent scores on full tilt here and there but i'd say you know thinking to how good i thought it was to how how bad i actually was it's quite laughable mm. but uh 
and also like right during Black Friday, I mean, I went on a really bad run, and like that's when I really started to try to figure out, you know, am I am I just clicking buttons basically, or do I really know what I'm doing more or less? Because I mean, it was I think like my first like quite significant downswing after like some nice scores but it really you know put things into perspective it was probably what i needed you know black friday unfortunately came right at that time so i got back into live poker then um and so we're at the sorry to interrupt you but at no, the no, time no, of black ahead. friday were you just playing cash online and cash live were no you playing I, mtt's both places actually or? yeah i probably didn't mention this but um, I ended up graduating with my uh, construction management degree also, so I actually had an internship at the company I still work for right now, um, doing project management and estimating for a commercial construction company, focusing on uh, commercial interiors, ceilings, the wall panels specifically for myself. Do you want to give them a shout out at all? Sonus Interiors, yeah, of course, I should probably say that, huh? Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've uh, been really great and flexible, and it's a, it's just like a, a great, great spot to work, so I, you know, they've allowed me... Uh, the flexibility to still, you know, have poker as like a, a, a side job more or less. And, um, you know, I, I can't be thankful enough for that because Sonus is, you know, that job and poker also like tie hand in hand. It's funny. There's a lot of similarities between the two, between bidding work competitively against other uh, general, uh, I'm sorry, subcontractors or general contractors and, you know, playing poker. It's hmm. kind of, you know, eh, as a lot of things in life, you know, poker imitates it. Um, but yeah, so I'd say after, right after college, I got that internship there and I was actually in the process of trying to figure out where I wanted to move when Black Friday happened. I was still going up to play poker a lot with uh, Brant up north in Coon Rapids. That's where he moved after college. Okay. And I was actually living at home still debating, you know, do I want to move up with him? Do I want to get a place around my, you know, Burnsville where I grew up? Then I met my wife, so then we, after like a year or so, we started looking for a house, and uh, we landed back here in Burnsville. So I was playing live poker, and then I ran into um, a person that was sponsored by um, an online poker site here, which reintroduced me to the American sites, to Carbon, to Lock at the time, um, and now I play a lot on uh, WPN, the Winning Poker Network, mostly. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, you know, the home of ACR, America's Card Room, Black Chip Poker, um, Poker Hosts, etc., and then Ignition, which is uh, Bovada. But, I mean, the American sites, they are what they are. I mean, there's still money to be made on them, but you have to deal with, you know, uncertainty. There's right. always, you know, it's kind of like... You gotta work pretty hard to get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not that the fields are smaller. I mean, there's still mm -hmm. good money to be made, but there's like... I mean, technically, it's like a black market, you could say, but yet right. it's completely people from other countries are coming to play here now because they've gotten so big. And, I mean, people get paid. There's no issues with that. But it's like, for example, they can cancel tournaments for no reason and right. don't have to say anything to anybody. You don't know if they're going to get shut down at any point in the day. But regardless, it's still... And they're obviously much smaller. It's not like the other sites, but there's enough of a market to you know, make it sustainable to play on them and, and have, if you're, you know, building yourself up an edge, if you're studying, if you're working hard at it, to actually make significant money doing it. But it's not easy, just like anything. Mm -hmm. It's it's a grind. I mean, uh, but yeah, I think that's where my focus is, has been probably over the last couple of years, two to three years, and then traveling to some, you know, 1Ks and whatnot around the region that 
fit my schedule, fit work, fit life with a wife and a kid. And so you're work. not playing a lot of live tournaments at this point? Almost um, everything's online? Or besides I, I, the ones you go to, the travel to? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably like, you know, 75, 25 mm-hmm. right now, yeah. And, I mean, I, I prefer to keep it that way. I mean, it's online, I think, is just kind of where, at least for now, it's yeah. kind of where, you know, the bread and butter is. It's where it's where you may, not necessarily that, but it's, in my opinion, and, I mean, no offense to, like, anybody that only plays live poker, it's where, like, real poker is. Like, that's where, like, if you want to get good at poker, if you want to learn poker, you have to start online. I mean, people can get good by only playing live, but... It's going to take you a lot longer just by the nature of the game. If you think about the number of hands you're going to be exposed to playing online versus playing live, they're not measurable. I mm-hmm. mean, multiply that by the amount of tables, you're not waiting for a dealer, for players to react, etc., etc. I mean, it's, you know, 20, 30, 40 times. You know, guys can get a whole uh, summer in the World Series on one Sunday, you know, on poker, you know, not here, but on poker stars and full tilt, etc. Okay, I've, I've been day. reluctant to go online. So maybe yeah. you and I can talk a little bit off mm-hmm. offline. I always, I'm always scared to, to sort of go down that road. Plus, I do like the the inter- interaction piece of it. Of course, but from a pure yeah. hands number of hands played and experience perspective, I think it seems like online is a great way to. Oh, trust to... me, I think live poker is a lot more. I enjoy live poker more. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot more enjoyable. But when you're and grinding if, out a siding. Yes, <laughs> yeah. If, if you're trying, I should have phrased it this way. If you're trying to just purely make money at poker, yeah. online well, online poker is like the best way to go. If like you're just trying to play poker recreationally, live poker is by far the, the right. way to go. It's way more fun. I mean, you get to play with people. You get to socialize. The whole, ver, um, uh, not, not tells, but the whole just yeah. like seeing the person comes into play. You know, I right. mean... Everything comes into play at that point. Uh, online poker is just more, I don't want to say cold-blooded, but it's a lot more cold-blooded, basically. You know, right. it's a lot more like you're going to get exposed a lot quicker. Your weaknesses are going to get exposed a lot quicker. Like if you're playing 2-5 or it's you know, or 5-10 uh, online and you're not sharp, you're not keeping up with mm-hmm. the 5-10 field, you're going to lose a lot quicker right. than you will live. Whatever you know? edge you have or don't have is going to be magnified because of the number of hands right, played. Right, right. And, and just the players are a lot a lot better yeah. uh, on average lo- uh, online versus live just because they are exposed to X amount of more hands, yep. the way they are approaching the game. So the competition is tougher, number of hands you're exposed to, and it's just, you know, it's a lot more theory-based. Versus live, you can do a lot of things that you can't do online, you know, like, you can just get away with a lot more things, you know, just okay. because people give off so much information mm-hmm. live that you don't get to see online. Mm-hmm. So you can do a lot more exploitable stuff that I guess I'm getting into, like, oh, sorry. strategy here. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, you know, for a recreational player, for people that just want to have fun, mm-hmm. you know, I think live is, and I enjoy it way more, too. You know, it's just, I don't really have time to right, like always. Right, yeah, a kid. And, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah I, can, I tend to look at it as, I mean, I'm somebody, I mean, I'm always trying to maximize my ROI, but yeah. I'm also looking at it because it's a hobby for me, because I'm recreational. I look at the ROE, which I refer to as return on enjoyment. I like that. You know, so like that. that piece too, if I'm going to invest yep. two, three, five, six, seven hours into a tournament, obviously I want to win, I want to do well, yep, yep. but there is that, the enjoyment piece. But I if like you're that. sitting here, I've got two, three hours at night and I want to, 
grinding up some extra income, that's hard yeah. to just go to a casino and say, oh, I want something that starts at 8.30 right. p.m. and I've got to be done by 11. Right, right. It's a little harder to, and to I do mean, that. So. And the online schedule works really well because, yeah. like, the Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are actually really good on the WPN network right now. And most of the tournaments start around 4 to 5 o'clock, but late, they have crazy late registration. So you mm-hmm. can late register most of them until, like, 7.30 or whatever, 8 o'clock. Um, if comfortably, you want to register them by about like five thirty or so, six o'clock, to still have right. like eighteen to twenty bigs right. at least. Be deep but, stacked at yeah, twenty bigs. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like you're you're you're, you're used to you're used to firing, and I mean it's funny because like if you fire a live tournament that's you know with like twenty bigs, right. you're like you feel like man, I'm, what am I doing? Is this like am I just gambling here? Even right. though I feel like my twenty big blind game is. X amount better than like the average of person in this field. Right. Online, I don't think twice about it. Yeah. Just because. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just because like the money is, uh, but but still, it's exponentially. I know, I know, it's all relative. So I know in my head, mm-hmm. it's all relative. But you don't even think about it. You know, right. it's just weird. <laughs> well, let's shift gears a little bit. Maybe we'll come back to that. But talking about yourself as a player. You know, there's all these different categories, and as, as we've talked about, the this podcast is geared more toward recreational players, but I know we have a number of uh, top-level players that are also listening to this, but for us recs, you know, we, we hear about these different categories, different books, different people will talk about, oh, they're a leg or a tag, or they're a, a calling station, or they're, you know, they're more patient, they're more aggressive, you know, whatever. There's all these different categories of mm-hmm. people. Uh, there's some that are more focused on, a, they're a field player versus they're a, more of a GTO-type player, Game Theory mm-hmm. Optimal, Analytic. If you were to describe yourself looking at you just in general terms, what sort of player are you? Uh, I'm not really sure, I guess. what What's funny is when I listened to the MSPT podcast, like the first time, final table I made like last year or whatever, when Matt described, I can't remember who it was, maybe it wasn't Matt, but he goes, I don't know what to say about Vlad. Vlad is just, uh, yeah, he didn't really say anything. It was just like... Okay. It, it, it was bizarre to try to listen to somebody try to describe yeah. you to the poker world, but yet they didn't really, uh, I don't know. He just kind of said, I don't really know, which is maybe a good thing. That's kind of maybe the best case scenario for me that somebody doesn't right. know what to tag me Hopefully as. Hopefully it was followed by, but he's really solid. Yeah, but I, it probably was. I don't, I can't yeah, remember. Matt's pretty complimentary. But, um, and I can't remember if it was Matt or not, or maybe it was Alan or somebody yeah. I can't remember. Um, regardless, uh, I'm not really sure what I would consider myself at as I guess... You know, I'd like to say that I just adapt to what whatever the table gives me or whatever the flow of the table is. I mean, I, I've looked at certain sessions, like, I mean, I, you know, I know HUDs are in, for everybody and they're a whole different discussion, but, like, I can look at the end of my sessions on my HUDs and my explain stats. What, explain will what be, a HUD is for people that aren't aware of it. It's, uh, it's basically a heads-up display that keeps track of certain statistics of yourself and other players as you're playing and you choose whatever statistics you want it to track and um i guess the the tricky thing about huds is it's up to you how to interpret those stats you know a lot of people misuse huds and it can like derail some people's careers just because they're misusing that information or they're only relying on that that information to make their decisions which you know that's wrong that information is just there to provide your frequencies of people's plays, it's up to you mm-hmm. to incorporate it to make sure that you have enough data to 
you know, supplement that information that it's relative, right. what it means, at what point of the tournaments did those come up? Like, do you just have a bunch mm-hmm. of hands on somebody from like the early stages of a tournament? A lot goes into it. So yeah. okay. um, I can look at my stats on some days and I mean, I can be like, wow, I played like a maniac today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can look at my stats some days and it can be like, wow, I played really nitty today, you know? So I'm not really sure. I, I just like to think of myself at least that I just adapt to whatever the situation is and whatever the table is playing if the table is is full of really competent aggressive players you know I'm gonna keep my ranges in check and I'm gonna be more balanced and I'm gonna be more protected but I mean if the table is more passive Mm -hmm. and you know I don't even if maybe there's only like one or two like aggressive competent players but the rest are fairly like a comp uh combination of like passive or like maybe bad rags or whatever recreationals then i'm gonna try to push whatever edge i can get that i think i can get away with unless i see otherwise mm-hmm. um but i'm still gonna choose my spots carefully because i don't want to expose you know you don't want to expose what you're doing really quick because i mean but yeah, basically aside from that, I guess I don't I don't really so know I don't really know yeah. how to describe myself. That's well, it's that's, interesting. I mean, you're not the first person we've interviewed to say that, and yeah. um, you know, as a recreational player, that seems like that's a pretty primary topic in a lot of poker books. Not that that's the, always the answer, but as we're looking at this, I think a lot of us are saying you know it's important to, to label people, to understand people, who they are, you know, their leg, their tag, whatever that is, and then try to use that. But as I'm talking to people that are much more experienced, what I'm hearing is. You know, we're, we're, we don't have a set style. We are adjusting to the table, which, of course, makes perfect sense. So I'm wondering if, from a recreational perspective, there's maybe too much energy, too much effort, too much thought put into trying to label these players as one thing or another versus saying, well, they're adapting just like I'm adapting. So they might not actually be, you know, a leg player, a loose, aggressive player. They might actually be something else, but now they're adapting because we're all being passive. Or, yeah. And, I mean, I, I, I get that. And, I mean, it's one thing. It's very different between labeling other players and labeling yourself. And, I mean, when you're labeling other players, you're just trying to make it easy for yourself to remember how they're playing, basically. But I'd say you got to be really careful labeling players. I mean, online and live. And, I mean, you can I can make a – when I make notes online, and it's the same thing when you make mental notes live – Anybody can misplay a hand one time, or anybody can come in one session because they had a bad day at work or a fight with their wife and play like a completely different game that they would have ever played. Otherwise, online, somebody could just be the same thing, same situation, or maybe when you've seen them play before, it was only in the early stages of the tournament, but when it's close to the bubble, this right. guy really picks up his frequencies, his three bets, his four bets. Regardless, you just got to be careful labeling people based on uh, sample size. I mean, if you only see somebody do that one thing one time, just keep that in mind. But I wouldn't say base your game versus that person on that one thing all the time. So if you see somebody make like a really poor like three bet call off, don't just always assume that when he's right. going to three bet that he's going to have like, th- you know, this hand or that hand and he may call off with it incorrectly. He could have just had like, a, you know, keep that in mind, however, that like they're capable. They, yeah, they're capable of that. Exactly. That they're, they may they may do that. But um, 
Because I've done that too, where I've been I've been three pre, three bet pre flop. Yeah, yeah. You know, it ends up getting to showdown, and they have you know nine four or whatever. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're just making a play. And mm-hmm. especially before I understood the you know what really was going to a three right, bet, before right. I realized it was more than just the cards. Right. And so then I had this mental picture of okay, this guy's range is I, I could never put him on a hand on, right. a, on a range of cards. And then I realized you know over time playing with him more and more that yeah. you no know, that was just he was that was a one time read. Yeah. He's actually yeah. a fairly yeah. you know straightforward sort of player. Yeah. And so, even so, when people do that, when people three bet hands like nine four. And they get the showdown with them. I mean, you do need to make a deep mental note about that because that does says something about my game. Yeah, no, no. Well, no. I mean okay. that that you you got to keep that in straight because yeah. I mean, it's just that's just getting like too creative. I mean, really, in a sense, like yeah. I guess we don't need to get into like deep into yeah. strategy, but I mean, it's just like p- people can try like too hard. I mean, may, and that's mm-hmm. just like the. That's maybe the epitome of somebody that's not necessarily doing something wrong or did something goofy that and he just tried too hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe he saw the right spot. It just it wasn't the right opportunity. It was right. the right you know. So just Putting all his eggs in the fold equity basket, not having any hand equity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not. Yeah, because I mean, it's like the idea of three betting and taking control of the hand right. is really appealing to some people. But you got to remember what goes into what is. How often they're defending, how often they're right. forbidding, how they're playing post flop, what you know, what board textures are you looking for, what board mm-hmm. textures are good for your range, for his range, how playable is your hand post, how many big blinds are you gonna have, what your stack to, to, to pot ratio gonna be, and how many streets are you willing to go with it on certain boards. So it's a lot's gonna go into it than just simply Oh, player A opened. I think he's been opening a lot. It's time for me to three bet without caring what my cards are. However, a lot of people fall into that trap because they'll see what they think is a good player doing that, but not really understanding why he's mm-hmm. doing that or with what cards he's exactly doing that, and mainly the reasoning that he's doing that. Like, what spot does he see? You know, so like the most dangerous thing is people just like seeing somebody do something and then they try to right. like copy it you know verbatim without really understanding why they're the doing it, you know? yeah, it yeah well you brought i mean this is actually couldn't have been much of a better segue you mentioned i mean you just instantly <laughs> listed off about 12 different considerations and, and for those of us you know less experienced players when we're breaking down a hand we'll do that on the podcast and you know this is a more of a general podcast but we'll break down hands and when we're doing that, we, we can look at all of those things and you know mm-hmm. and evaluate them. But in the flow of the game, mm-hmm. especially you know you're playing a seventy-five dollar buy-in tournament where mm-hmm. the levels are quick or whatever, sure. um, there, there's so much information that it seems like we are supposed to know, or so many considerations like you just mm-hmm. listed mm-hmm. that we're supposed to be taking into account when we're deciding what to do. But it for most of us that don't have the number of hands or whatever, or we're not mm-hmm. quick-witted enough or something, it's just, it just feels like too much information, and so. If, if you're looking at that, giving advice to, you know, a recreational player or, or some even a more advanced player, what are those key things? Uh, I mean, are, can you even say that? Yeah, I mean, I you're mean, looking at me puzzled because all you guys can process all this. Well, no, no, I mean, but like you know, you listed you know stack size and how what's their frequency well, I mean, and all you these know, things. Yeah, I wouldn't expect somebody to like consider all that in game, like as they're yeah. doing it. It's just something that you should be like naturally aware of as you're doing it like i can't say that like every every factor that i i want to go through my head goes through my head when i'm making a decision it's just more like you have to do your like studying off the felt and you just hope that with practice and with analyzing enough data that it comes into fruition as you're playing naturally basically instinctively once you study it enough but um 
What so, was the, what, what well, was your main question again? Say, well, well, repeat well, that again. Well, no, I can I can kind of change the question because what I'm hearing from you is here's all the things that need to be considered, but mm-hmm. really that's through experience, through study, mm-hmm. and so when you're in a hand like that or whatever it is, whether it's a big spot or not, are you actually thinking through sort of a an itemized checklist like that, or is it really just you're just oh, trusting? Oh, here I remember what you're I was just trusting say. that your instincts are kicking in, and yeah. maybe there's yeah. some specific things that you have to go through, but in general, all of those things that you listed, those are mostly just inherent they become like position in the hand you yeah. just know you're in position no I, I i guess i remember what i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. about your original uh question when you first asked this i mean it, it that's why it's important to learn about you know the basically you don't want to play i mean people say gto gto a lot sure. but i mean it's important to know like the basis of like what is considered like the gto plays but I mean, I would say like when you're playing small stake tournaments, like Joe, Joey Ingram says this a lot, actually, if you listen to his podcast, and he's absolutely correct. And I mean, I, I couldn't have advocated this more enough on my, uh, myself too. When you're playing low stake tournaments, low stake cash games, you should not be trying to play like perfect GTO because GTO is only like applicable when you're playing against other like very good players that are trying to play GTOs, GTO as well. Otherwise, when you're you know just playing against like low stakes players that are just playing the cards that are dealt, you should be trying to exploit every possible spot um, instead of uh, worrying about balancing your ranges or worrying about GTO, etc., etc. Um, you can you can come in here. We can we can yeah. yeah. We, you can just leave the food anywhere. We've got a special we've got a special guest here. Yeah, so would you anything. like to join the podcast? No. Thanks. That's no. <laughs> my 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 wife Marina. She just uh, brought nice, me some food. Nice Thank to you. meet you. Um, now we have now we have food on the Rec Poker <laughs> yeah, podcast. That's right. So that's right. We got we got snacks and chips. You're setting the bar anything. higher for every other guest. Now. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you should still. What I was getting at is you should still. Uh, try to figure out or try to learn about I don't want to say GTO but basically about like the, the correct way of play the principles of it so by studying like online training videos or talking to like highly knowledgeable highly knowledgeable players bringing their hand your hands to them and having them critique their hands and just like watching them play or or playing online poker yourself and having them uh, analyze your hands because you do want to know the backbones of it you want to know what it's composed of you you want to know the correct thing to do in basically every spot it's just that you don't need to follow those guidelines especially especially in the lower stake stuff because when when you get in the lower stake stuff you should really be trying to exploit as much as possible and you really should be trying to adjust everybody else because so many people are doing things just because they don't not that they don't care, they, they, they don't know, you know, so it's just, um, but yeah, you, if, if you don't know, like you said, you get to a spot and you're like, even if it's a 150 or a thousand dollar buying tournament and you're like, I've never played with this guy, he seems like, you know, he's like 50 years old, he could be a recreational or he could be a, a guy that's played, you know, 500 tournaments, you're not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not sure going into the hand, you want to rely on GTO. To, you want to rely on like the theory of the game, basically the math, to carry you through your decisions unless you see otherwise. Mm. So if you're not sure if you should be three-betting this hand versus him, you should just follow like basic principles like of GTO, like w- which would you know, follow through strict guidelines of like, 
what hands, what reins is you should be three betting with 20 to 25 big blinds, 25 to 30 big blinds, etc. And it, a GTO doesn't take into effect who opened or mm-hmm. like what kind of style. Or, oh, well, this guy was like crazy or this guy was like really nitty. No, like GTO is just very cold. Like mm-hmm. it just tells you what hands you should do what with when you're presented a situation and so that's it's, it. It's like a default sort Correct. of thing. So I could say GTO might tell me in this spot I should three bet with pocket sixes or ace jack or better. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever and it's not be, necessarily. But consider like yeah, and it's not necessarily factors. GTO. It's just like the correct or, way right, right. of. DV. Uh, yeah, the, the, the correct way, the, the, the correct theory of, of playing the game, basically, like what, what I would consider. I mean, if. Yeah. And I mean, you, you just want to have your your structure your backbone to the game and then you want to know when and how you want to deviate away from that so it gives you the default and then i can consider layer on top of that sort of well but they're looser than normal yes. or they're stack they exactly. put a third of their stack exactly. or well yeah things kind of come into play but you start with this yep. you know this default sort of range correct and yeah. and yeah yeah more importantly what goes into that is well, this guy's open excellent, you know, right. five out of the seven hands, right. or this guy has got a showdown, and I've seen him showdown these hands, or he's three bet X amount of times or narrower than normal. Yes, yes, yeah. he's three bet like yeah. five times out of like however many opportunities he's had to three bet in like right. the last three orbits. You and know, he keeps getting them through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you got to keep all that in mind. But aside from that. You want to, it's hard because there's not, you know, aside from like advocating like run at once, there's not really, and I, I guess I've never used, you know, upswing, but I know I've, you, I've been on card runners and what else can I advocate for a training site? You know, I mean, I've, I've toyed around with like tournament poker edge before, but I mean, mostly because like some of the guys that were putting out training videos on that website i was playing against on carbon and stuff so it was kind of nice like i was telling you to watch the training sites of some of the guys that you're playing against but yeah like run at once and um card runners and probably upswing you can really learn about the basis the the theory of the game and what you should have as your defaults um but you should always be critiquing them as well because Especially when they're doing their live sweats, because nobody plays perfect. Nobody, nobody's gonna play like a slate of tournaments, um, you know, a full Sunday and record it and not make any mistakes. It's silly to think that, and that's the thing. Nobody's gonna play a live tournament. Well, I mean, you're gonna have some tournaments here and there where you're just gonna play them flawlessly, but it's gonna be rare. But nobody's gonna play an entire tournament without making mistakes. I mean, when that's the most laughable thing is people's like, right. oh, I've been right. playing perfect and just getting unlucky and just nobody's doing that. Right. I mean, like I can think of X amount of mistakes I make every live tournament, so I guarantee you. Even if you, you win a tournament, yeah, you, you've left chips on the table at some point. Yeah, or you, you got it in bad or. You, well, not necessarily that. Whatever. You're just making theoretical, theoretical mistakes, mistakes right. that you're not even aware, aware of. of. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, let me let me ask you this: as, as a in terms of you know learning the game and I. I think I've been flawed in my approach to learning the game. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, as everybody knows, I listen to this, I'm very transparent <laughs> with things. But one of the things that I've run into at least a year ago, and I'm trying to figure out how to best um, imp- uh, make this better, but like, it's almost like I have this checklist of things that I'm trying to remember. And I think a lot of the rec players that I talk to struggle with this too. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need, to, I need to think about this or I need to remember this. And so mm-hmm. I'm paying attention to, okay, here's their bet mm-hmm. relative to what their stack size is. Here's the frequency with which it seems like they're mm-hmm. betting. It seems like, at least in general terms, they're mm-hmm. opening a lot of pots. Mm-hmm. Um, here's my 
here's my uh, you know my ship stack size. Here's what I think the stack to pot ratio will be after the flop. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's where we are in the tournament. You know, we're mm-hmm. middle stages nearing the bubble or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all of these different things, and so I have like this checklist of things. And then when it comes to a decision point, I'm like, well, how do I use that? Like, mm-hmm. okay, well he's raising with 25 big blinds. But what if he was raising with 50? How would I actually use that information? And we don't have to get into all the details of what that actually means, but I think there's a flaw in how many of us are learning the game. We're like trying to memorize things like, oh, okay, they did that with 50 instead of 25, and I can, and I noticed that. Okay, when they had 25 blinds, they went 3x. When they they had 50 blinds, they went 4x. Okay, I've noticed that, but how do I use that? And so I think there's a lot of of us that are out there going, okay, I'm noticing things, I'm observing things, but I don't really know how to, what to do with it. Now that I have this information, so what? And it makes me wonder, are we thinking about the wrong things? Yeah. Or are we thinking about it in the wrong way? Or are we learning the game as a checklist rather than fundamental principles? Yeah, I would say you probably hit the nail on the head with uh, the, those last three, four things. Is that say you're just worrying about the wrong thing. I mean, all of that is really good to notice. I mean, that's like really excellent that you're actually focusing and paying attention in that. But trying to base your decisions or base like the way you're playing based on that is like impossible because you don't you you're not ever gonna know like the the real reasoning why somebody forexed when they right. had 50 big blinds and then when they had a hundred big blinds double the stack they start min raising right. like like so, it happens yeah i mean sometimes you're like well that makes no sense is it when you have yeah, hands yeah, you don't know well, why yeah. yeah so i mean it, it, and you start paying attention to that and you're like well he's you know he got when he got to showdown when he forexed he had a really big hand and you, you make him mental mental note of them sometimes you're not going to get to see those things but regardless right. i think it's great that you're paying attention to those things but you shouldn't be trying to base like your play on that. You should just try to use that as useful information versus that specific player. But it's a, it seems to me, or it sounds to me, like it's a little bit like a little bit of overanalyzing. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's you want to have the basic principles of like ranges. Basically, if if I could describe if I could describe poker in like one sentence, I would just say poker is just no limit tournament specifically because I'm sure the majority of people listening to this or yeah. that we're trying to approach to are playing no limit tournaments. It's just a game of ranges and the, uh, the the game of ranges changes as the dynamics of the tournament change when we get deeper, shallower in the blank, you know, as the average stack gets deeper and shallower throughout the middle and late stages of the tournament. But other than that, like noticing what some people are doing is phenomenal to try to exploit that person or that type of player. Um, But that's about it. Like that doesn't mean that you should say, like you shouldn't look at, and even seeing a good player do something, that doesn't mean you should say, oh, this good player did this. I'm going to go try to do that too. Mm-hmm. Like you shouldn't do that. You should just try to understand why he did that. Maybe look at like his opponent. Maybe look at the positions that they were at the table. Try to remember what had happened before that. If you remember any hands they played. And try to see if you can incorporate that into your own strategy, into how you feel comfortable playing how you can adapt that into your game but you shouldn't try to mimic you know good things just because a good player does them and you shouldn't try to like take something bad that somebody does and try to like label that Mm. to like everything that you see you know it's just it's hard to explain i guess but you shouldn't overanalyze things that 
could be completely random, yeah, basically. Yeah, that's you good. know, um, you should try to see uh, how you can exploit their weaknesses. So, for example, if you notice that this player is coming into every time it folds around to them and say the button or cutoff or hijack, they're always opening. Like, whether they're opening to two, uh, two times, three times the blinds, or five times the blinds, that's another aspect of the strategy. The fact that they're just opening every time it folds to them, that's the mate that's the that's right. the bigger thing that you want to focus on is what that tells you. Then you want to start paying attention to how, how often they open in early position, how often they defend their big blinds. And you just want to develop uh, excuse me, counter strategies versus them based on how frequently they're doing certain things. Not so much like what they're doing like exploitively within those things you know if that makes any sense yeah, like yeah yeah because that like i said like that person may not even understand why they're doing that mm -hmm. so trying to like decipher that yourself may be impossible so keeping your eyes on the main action is the open yes yes <laughs> the, the, the minor yes. action is the is the sizing which which may you know, and, have an opportunity to explain I mean, later, and, no, and I mean, sizing isn't minor. Sizing is right. very important. Like, it actually tells you a lot about... It fluctuates the ranges a lot in hands. Like, it's actually a, a very important thing. It's just that you may not, without seeing them go to showdown frequently with certain hands, which... Or, or just realizing that when they, like, min-raise, for example, and say a certain flop comes... And they like see bet once, and then they, they give up on the turn. Right. You just know that like, whatever. Maybe they don't have it when they min raise, right. or then when they forex, they're always like bet bet betting big. Right. Like like besides that, or like when they get the showdown, if they don't go to showdown, or like nobody like stands up to them, everybody's always folding. You may not know, and they may not know why they're doing that. I guess is what I'm right. trying to get at. Okay. But you should just try to focus on how you can exploit that person like basically if if you're seeing them play too many hands i mean that's the main thing if you're seeing mm -hmm. okay well how do i exploit that if, if if i'm gonna start three betting him is he gonna defend my three bets properly how is he gonna play his range post flop is he gonna four bet me properly um how deep are we i mean can i you, you know you can't just want to do this and then just pick a random hand when you're like 20 big blinds and just decide right. to now's my moment yeah yeah now was my moment yeah, yeah. so th that's the main thing that you want to do is like develop strategies versus these people not just try to decipher what they're doing hmm. if that makes sense that's good yeah yeah i wanted to ask you well, i have a billion questions um to ask you but um one of the things is is you mentioned some of this probably already embedded in there, but as you play different tournaments, you you play mostly when you play live, you play mostly the bigger tournaments, the eleven hundred and yep, and, yep, and yep. more. Which yep. I mean, for some of you guys are saying that's a small tournament. Yep. I, I get that. No, but like, no, no. But like, you know, as you've played either that tournament or even smaller or whatever in your in your history, when you look at the players that are clearly in above their over their head a little bit, mm -hmm. or you know, they want a satellite and they never would buy into this mm -hmm. otherwise, or they're just the poorer end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see? Um, man, they vary so much between players, and the mistakes are so different. It really depends. Uh, it really depends on the player. It really depends on their situation. It could be a guy that, for example, is very wealthy and doing very well in life, and he just basically treats this eleven hundred dollars like like to me an eleven hundred dollar tournament is like a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like I don't take them lightly. They're they're, you know, it, you you can go on a like 
20, 30, 40 uh, non-cash streak in tournaments very, very easily. People just don't right. really oh, yeah. people just don't, don't really understand that. So just think about that. If your average buying is 1K, just think about what your bankroll should be if you people just don't want to like think about those things. But regardless, it could be from a guy that's wealthy in life that just is playing too many hands, playing too loose, playing too loose passive, opening a lot and just calling three bets and like not taking initiative in the hand just like check calling Don't a lot just, just like check calling a yeah. lot and giving up it could be a guy that's like you said in over his head too much that you know way put tight. way too much of his bankroll in it or like whatever got staked in it even though like he shouldn't have and like asked for a stake and like he's playing basically playing scared mm-hmm. or you know it could be a mixture of things but I would say the biggest thing is people are focusing on the wrong things i mean people are and that's i guess a very broad thing to say but people are just like people are trying too hard i guess mm. that's that, that that's what i would say and it, like if i can make one comment about you know that that demographic I guess of players is yeah people are just like trying to over analyze things too much they're trying to if they see a good player I can't tell you how many times, and I mean, it's not like against me or I see it when like somebody else that's down that's like a known player and you see a certain type of player always try to go at him or mm-hmm. to try to like prove to that player that they can play yeah. and they just try to, they end up like donating their chips to mm-hmm. them just because they're taking these spots that they wouldn't have otherwise taken just because they're trying to like show them they up or something. They don't tell their yeah. they busted Fox yeah. or whatever. Or, or yeah. whatever, yeah, or, yeah. or they bluffed so-and-so in a big hand, they bluffed Koo in a big hand, or they bluffed Aaron in a big hand, or whatever. Um, Who ends up ultimately getting their chips later. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, regardless, or they just... But, or it could be, like I said, there's very... there's It really depends on the person. Just to say that, like, there's one mistake that certain people make is... I I would just say, like, playing too many hands is just basically one-hand people. But... I could say that people don't play enough hands sure. either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it's hard to say. I've been into many 1Ks where I thought my tables were way too nitty and I thought my tables were right. way too loose. So I'm not really sure. I guess some people just don't defend their big blind enough. Some people, you know, it's... So it's not an obvious sort of, here's the mistake no, I see. It's the players that just are less experienced or correct. Don't, don't care, basically. Is I, I, I would say or, just less experienced. That's yeah. the thing is online poker just gives you the experience part. Like, you can... That's why you see a lot of these, like, young... You know, the younger generation of players, you know, that they grind in online poker and, you know, take it seriously in, co- in their colleges and whatever and right. turn it into their job doing so well because just the sheer number of volume of hands up there they got exposed to now right. they get adapt. That doesn't mean that they're going to be successful in the live scene. There's plenty that were not because they just weren't able to take that information and adapt it to the live scene. There's certain things that are correct to do in online poker that are not correct to do live poker and vice versa. So um, if you're not adjusting correctly, you know, you're just going to get burned. But um, I'd say just from a, like a strict like theory perspective, get your learning from online and, and try like basically have it, ingrained in you what you want to do with your ranges mm-hmm. when your stack is x amount of big blinds you know be, be able to play uh three to five big blind five to seven seven to ten ten to fifteen fifteen to twenty big blind stack twenty to twenty five etc you know don't just be able to play well 
I know how to play 20 big, I know that I'm supposed to shove these hands with 20 big blinds, and then people get under 20 big blinds, like, and they're in over the head in this tournament, they're like, oh my god, right. I have 50 big blinds, like, I'm short, I'm gonna bust, I'm never gonna make it, and you see them mm -hmm. take these ridiculous shove spots where I can't tell you, like, 15 big blinds can mean so much in a tournament, like, I can't tell you how many tournaments you can make it deep in from having right. just a couple of big blinds, let right. alone 15, so... Yeah, that's that's an area that I've been trying to work on myself, because yeah. I tended to be more the get-desperate earlier yeah. Yeah, piece, yeah. and you because see you want to maximize fold equity, that's yeah. what the books say, you know, but then you end up, yeah, you, you end up shoving your king seven over a raise. I guess maybe <laughs> I would say that's probably, maybe I would say the biggest mistake okay. I see, if I could, like, see one, is people just don't know how to play their sub-20 big blind yeah. stacks right. correctly. Because they automatically think that anything below 20 big blind stacks is panic time. Right. Where I would venture to say that almost every tournament, and I mean, I've heard multiple good players say this, almost every tournament that somebody wins, they had to battle more than mm -hmm. likely a uh, sub-10 big blind stack right. at one point or another. Maybe right. not. I mean, there's obviously rules to the exception but more often than not you're gonna be seven mm -hmm. to ten big blinds deep at some point in the tournament and how you play your shelf fold range is very very important and i would say especially for for those of us who play the smaller buy-in tournaments the 30s to 60s to 75 dollar tournaments when you hit the final table you yeah. know the average stack is 15 big blinds yeah, yeah. so you know seven to ten big blinds is an awful lot of equity in, a, in that right. final table yeah and i mean you yeah. want to know two things i mean you want to know shelving ranges there and you want to know icm i mean those are two exactly. big those are basically the two major things there and they're gonna go hand in hand there but yeah during the the middle late and final table stages just having your shoving ranges and, and now there's so many apps and tools and right. ways to learn online for free about your shoving ranges they should just be you know people can more or less if you want to memorize something you can memorize shoving ranges because shoving ranges aren't based on whether a player is tight or nitty or right. or, or aggressive they're just, just they, they're just a stat it's yep. just oh you have x amount of blinds and you're in this position okay go yep. all in yep. or fold what so, does john nash say i should do right? exactly <laughs> you know or i mean you can base it there's the nash way and then the, i believe there's like the uh, skalansky and then there's there's like two or uh, three mm -hmm. or four different whatever ranges. theory yeah. ranges that you can go off on but yeah i mean i would say that's probably one of the bigger yeah. mistakes is people just and on, and, on and you equity. see that and you see that yeah. in one case too you know from a number of different types of players that people mm -hmm. just don't really know what they can do with their small stacks and yeah. how valuable they are fair enough well let me let me switch gears i'm going to ask you a hand mm -hmm. situation but uh, I don't know if you've listened to the other podcasts. I've done this with each of other guests. So, um, but it's it's intentionally incredibly vague. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm not going to give you much information. Usually, mm -hmm. usually you break down a hand and you're like, sure. here's all the information. And you break it down and say, what's the right way to do it? What I want to get from you is just what comes to mind as far as those pieces of information that you absolutely need to know, whether it's about the person or the situation or whatever it is, mm -hmm. in order to make a decision. Mm -hmm. All right. So under the gun opens. Mm -hmm. You're on the button. So the person in the cutoff, the person to your right, calls. All right, so we've got an open from under the gun. We've got a call on your right, and you're on the button to pick up ace-jack. What information do you need to know to, to make a decision? There's If somebody can tell you a concrete answer based on that hand history, you shouldn't listen to them. But what, <laughs> but what comes to mind as far as those things? Well, like, the well thing I, can't is, even, I can't even well, consider here, this if I don't know well, this. Well, here, l l let me tell you this, I guess. Yeah. 
for for a proper, I guess let's just start at at, at point A. If you guys want to know, or if you want to know, I guess what you need, you, you don't need all this information for like a proper hand history. I would say for a proper hand history, well, if you want to bring it to like a knowledgeable player and you want to actually get like their real um, advice for it, you want to know you you want to you want to know the exact big blinds that you sure. and the, the opponent sure. have. No, just so yeah. like yep. it, just advice. So you want you want to know like the big blinds that uh, you and the villain have, the positions you're in. Uh, the, what the blinds are, and that's about it. So I'm in, I'm in this position. I have X amount of big blinds. The blind, and the blind is this, and the villain is this deep. And that's it. You don't really need much more than that. Some people like get super in depth of like, yeah. oh, but this guy was like on his third or fourth beer, and he like got into a fight with his girlfriend. Fight, you know, and that's great to like denote all that. But I guess more importantly is just remember those like three so, or four so things: blinds, bet size, yeah, stack look, look sizes. what your stack size, what the blinds are. In the positions, yep. You know that's basically the I guess the, the three things you should always know when you're when you're given a uh, hand history. However, answering a hand like that, what, like it's so ingrained in me. I talk to a few of my like good friends probably every day regarding hands. We have like a group text, Sweet. and it's me, Ku, and Aaron, obviously. Oh, and it's like Sweet. when we share hands. Yeah. I mean. Like I said, we probably, maybe not every day, but say like every other day or every couple mm-hmm. of days or sometimes it's like multiple hands a day. Like we're so used to talking about hands in that perspective that for me to give you an answer based on no information, I literally cannot say anything about it. This hand can literally be a straight fold. If it goes, guy opens with 12 big blinds under the gun where like his opening range is like right. queens up because he should be open shoving all his hands like my ace jack is just going to be thrown into the muck right. in the speed of lightning. Right. So and that's what I'm talking about. Like like normal. I mean, I'm I'm doing this yeah. intentionally for you to say. I mean, obviously, this isn't how I present present hand history. Like, yeah. What should I do with ace jack? It's the idea is what are those things that you're just like I, I can't even. So those are, so you're saying blinds. Best so, size, so, yeah. So those those, those three things type. are actually the answer to probably this yeah. question. Yeah. So it's it's the the stack size. So how many big blinds you have? You want to think of everybody at your table as a number of big blinds you don't even that's like the number thing you should always keep track of everybody at your tables how many big blinds they have and how many big blinds you have in your stack if you're not doing that you're making a critical mistake because then when it comes time to the heat of the battle your brain's just not going right. to think fast enough to calculate oh my god he started with this amount of big blinds i made it two and a half he made it six big blinds now the pot has 13 and a half like i have pot right. size but you know so you just want to have all that ingrained and then you want to know what the blinds are and you just want to keep track of the pot and you just want to and th- th- that's really about it you just want to know what position they're opening from how many big blinds they're opening from and i guess the rest of the field what sort of stack sizes like if this guy's opening under the gun with 20 big blinds and there's like several 10 big blind stacks to the left of him he just should not have a hand that's weak, like mm-hmm. ever in theory, mm-hmm. because he he's, he, gonna, he's gonna have to call show. off, yeah, yeah a ten BB stack, which is gonna be half his stack, and it's really not very pleasing to race full to a ten big blind stack because you're burning money long term, but you don't want to call off half your stack lightly, so that gives you a lot about that person's range. You Assuming know, he's their, paying, a thinking yeah, player, yeah. but 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 if he's not, if it's like a random Joe Schmo, right. and it's the first time you've seen him, you still have to like basically assume that unless you're proven otherwise. Like you can't just go off theory in that situation unless you know otherwise. Yeah. So just keep that in the back of Good. your mind, basically. You know, so if you don't know, if you're not sure. Just revert back to your defaults, which is what should you do in theory. 
you know, in theory, he should not have a hand that he's going to raise full there. Right. So, or at least be very, very minimal. I mean, you, you can actually, but it's just be, be like a very like small part of his range. So, so just touching on a little bit of strategy here, we don't need to go too deep, but just like, this is, this is one of those situations where I say, okay, I can pay attention to the information, but so what? Um, and you're, I know you're going to be laughing yeah. inside, but like, okay, they have 25 big blinds. I have 40 big blinds. Mm-hmm. They, they raise in that situation versus mm-hmm. they have 40 and I have 25. I look at that and I'm like, okay. Those now, are two I'm, different situations. Right, I, I paid attention to that, so yeah. I know they're two different situations, but I don't really know how to use that. Is, it, is, is the sack size, because this keeps coming up every interview is that mm-hmm. stack size. Stack size mm-hmm. is so critical. And I'm like, well, we're both, this, I know this sounds bad, but I'm, I'm transparent. I'm like, we're both fairly deep, like we both could play this hand, but is, mm-hmm. is the issue that who has the other one covered that is potentially determined life? Or is it really that that bet out of a 25 big blind stack is a lot stronger than that bet out of a 40 big blind stack? Bo- both, both, okay. both things. And I mean, for different reasons. I mean, A, like in theory, his ranges with a 25 BB stack opening under the gun should be tighter than a 40 BB stack opening under the gun, but you you got to know what type of player it is. I mean, there are some players that, depending on who's in the big blind and who's on the button, et cetera, who's on the table, they will try to open, you know, but in theory, they should, you know, they, they still, if it's full ring, nine-handed, you can't get away with that much more of opening up your ranges under the gun with 25 BBs versus 40 BBs. Um, when you're the guy on the button, for example, when you have a hand like ace-jack with 25 big blinds, I mean, it's like, uh, I'll, I'll explain the differences like in this way. If, if, if there's a guy that's like, a good loose aggressive competent open a loose aggressive competent reg that's 40 big, big blinds deep opening under the gun and say it's like eight handed and then the guy in the cutoff to the right of you calls with say like also 40 big blinds and you have ace jack with 25 big blinds on the button what should be going into your head is is this a good squeeze spot basically how often is this guy's open under the gun and your squeeze should just basically be all in yeah there's no reason to make a three bet that's not all in here because half your stack. it's well not it's not it shouldn't be half your stack because your three bet here in theory nine. should be like between nine and a half to ten maybe eleven big bl- so yeah. i mean yeah i guess whatever it's close it's yeah I, it's gonna be damn near half your stack you're right so um and, and you just like a lot of awkward things happen like like you're basically making your hand look a lot stronger than than it is, right. which is like maybe a good thing. But if that guy was deeper, he's gonna peel a lot there, and then what are you gonna do? Right. You're gonna end up playing ace jack there, even if it's in position. It's not the hand that plays great. Dog bets at you. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, yeah. well, no, I wouldn't worry. Do not worry about anybody donk betting in you because it should. Just, yeah. Okay. It should. It should <laughs> be. It shouldn't be anything that concerns you because people do it so infrequently that even when it does have, like you know, it shouldn't be anything that like consider goes into your consideration. Oh, this guy could donk bet into me because everybody, not everybody, but even most amateurs know by now that like you should check to the preflop aggressor, mm-hmm. and I mean rarely somebody will, but regardless, you Fair should enough. like. But yeah, with that with that situation with twenty five big blinds, it becomes a very like good spot to three bet rip if if the criteria is this mm-hmm. guy is a loose aggressive competent regular that's open under the gun and he's been say opening at a decent frequency in early position say the blind is maybe a recreational or maybe somebody that doesn't defend their blinds properly whatever and the guy in the cutoff is maybe not really like tricky. Not, 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 not a guy that's not going to try to balance his range and flat like aces right. there or kings exactly. so that you think every time with a premium he's going to three. But, yeah, it becomes a pl- – with 40 big blinds, you can still consider squeezing, but now your squeeze has to be 
nine and a half to 11 big blinds and what are you going to do at that point or you can consider flatting or if you think that this guy that's opening under the gun if he has 25 big blinds and you think like man there's two 10 big blind stacks to the left of him and he's got 25 bigs even though i have 40 bigs he's just never going to open a hand that's not going to be able to cut off the 10 big blind stacks ace jack and become a fold there even even with 40 big blinds yeah so um it depends a lot on how you construct that person's range, how your stack plays against that range. And, and yeah, there's too many variables that go into it. But I would say, yeah, those, those, those two spots are very different, you know, and for, for various reasons. So good, sense. dude. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're almost out of time. This is so good. I mean, yeah, thanks no. for sharing some of that strategy piece. Not a problem. Not get a problem. Into that. It, it helps more That's, than you realize that helps those of us that are out here, like, trying to reconcile all of this information and what to do with it yeah i mean that's probably like the easier thing for me to talk about is just like straight poker strategy versus like talking about myself or something like that that. that's what everybody said like you know the the idea going into the interviews was really let's just talk strategy but i think everybody has this interesting story and the feedback we've gotten you know now that we've done several of these interviews um you know so john redding joe bernard Mm -hmm. matt hamilton and yourself people like they're starting to feel like they get to know people a little bit yeah you're not giving away i don't think too much information but people are starting to feel like the poker community is becoming Mm -hmm. you know get to know you so i appreciate you taking the time and i think the other guys are too like let's just talk hands yeah yeah, no no but but it's good but i do want to talk a little bit i want to give you i know you're humble enough so you won't really like this but i was looking at hendon mob Uh and i you know i don't know how much you got you guys really pay attention to that but i was looking at your your gpi your global poker index rating right now is 906 I so, guess I did not pay attention so to that, but all right, According cool. to the Hendon Mob, you're yeah. the top thousand players in the world. Now, right, I know there's cool, cool. a lot that goes into that <laughs> sort of thing. Um, you're 58th in the all-time money list in Minnesota, all right, all right. which is cool. But what I what I thought was interesting is you got a couple guys ahead of you that you need to catch here. So Joe Bernard is in 53rd, <laughs> all right. and your buddy Aaron is up there in 44th. Yep. yep so both, I think, you know, you got to go And I love both those guys. <laughs> and, yeah, trust me, they're, they're both very good players, and they're putting in some volume. So it's going to be... It's not going to be easy to catch anybody on that list, yeah. so especially not those two guys. They're pretty, they're pretty hungry, yeah. They are. But, and Aaron, uh, we're going to have him on the show as well. Yeah, no, trust me. I'm, uh, I'm pretty hungry as well, so hopefully uh, this summer some good things will happen. We'll but, see. but I was looking at your, your 906 and uh, your, your, the GPI ratings, and it looks like they kind of take the last three years, and they give mm-hmm. you points, and so it's mm-hmm. not this perfect system, but it gives you an idea mm-hmm. where you're at. So I was looking at a few of the guys that are around you in, mm-hmm. that, in that range, and you may or may not be aware of this. So just ahead of you, you got John Morgan, you got Phil Mater, and you got Neil Blumenfield. Right. So Neil's like 900. Yep. So And just right right on your tracks now, you got Evgeny Tomashenko. He's 909. He's right by, he's just behind you. Elia Lezer's 907. Funny, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Or <laughs> v Stern and Jonathan Duhamel are like right on your tracks. So you're ahead of those guys. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Right? So that's I, pretty I good. I, I did not know this. The thing is, it's such like a, yeah. a, a, and even like live tournament scores are just like so misleading. I mean, people like, don't really know what really goes on like in the poker world and like what a hand and mob like really right. is like what tournament winnings quote unquote i'll put my air quotes up right now if nobody can see them but yeah i mean it's it's such a different world than what people realize i mean between uh selling pieces and staking and right. like like how how many tournaments people play without cashing and rebuys and etc etc uh, it's just it's a very misleading world, but I mean that's a whole different topic. I yeah, guess, from now it, on. it is. I totally agree. Yeah. Like, what gets points? What doesn't get points? Like yeah. I know. I mean, I don't play. I don't play the big tournaments. So like all of my like the Minnesota listing 
the ranking doesn't include weekly tournaments. Well, that's right. pretty much all that we play. Right, right. Not right. that I would not right. be anywhere near well, the no. thing, but yeah. you know, it's, it's it's misleading. But um, one of the things that, and just I know we got to wrap up, but you mentioned this like. One of the things a lot of us recs are wondering about, especially those of us like myself who track everything, mm-hmm. because I'm an analytical dude mm-hmm. and I like mm-hmm. to know my ROI and you know mm-hmm. all those different things. But like, I, it's hard to frame up like, how am I doing? Like, obviously your ROI is positive. That means you're overcoming the rake and you're you're winning money. So that's a good thing. But what's a good ROI? Uh, I'm in the money this percentage of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that good or bad? And 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 not that it's about comparing yourself to others, but as you're as, as, as I'm looking at, I'm trying to balance like my in the moneyness with my overall R. Well, I want overall ROI. I want it to be as high as possible, but in the moneyness with what's my um, multiple when I do cash. So like, because I could get in the money a lot, but mm-hmm. min cash, and I'm a losing player. Mm-hmm. Or I could get in the money less, but play super aggressive, too aggressive, where my caches are big, but I'm in the money way too seldom. But there's a, sort of this optimal, and not that you have a target, but there's this optimal piece. And like, what is a good in the moneyness percentage? What is a good ROI? I mean, do you know if that data exists anywhere? Um, as far as a good in the... I, or do you have a I, handle I, on that? No, uh, I'm not sure that it's... I'm not sure that it's really something you should really care too much about. I mean, your ROI definitely should be something you care yeah. about a lot about. But as far as how often you're in the money, like... If your ROI is positive, if uh, your right. ROI is good, the stuff in the money should take care of itself. So you don't need to worry about that. So I'd say just like get that out of your head because you don't want to be ma- you don't want you don't want to be having certain strategies or certain things affected by oh I want to make it in the money because I haven't made it in the money for X amount of right. tournaments. Right. You don't want to you don't want to let that creep in your head. You just want to be very cold blooded about it. And I mean. Yeah. Y- your ROI, if you're just thinking about your decisions as a, as EV, basically as expected value, um, and your ROI is going to be positive, like I said, things should take care of themselves. Like, I don't try to get in the money like hard in tournaments. Right. Like, I I just try to put myself in the best position that I think I can put myself in to give myself a chance to win that tournament. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the goal is to win the tournament. Like, all the money is like very top heavy in tournaments nowadays so that's what you want to give yourself a chance to do is to to make a deep deep final table run to take those top three spots um the stuff about cashing and how often you're cashing if you're making the right decisions long term which is really what you should just care about Mm -hmm. is your long-term ev decisions all those things should even out. Like live poker, your sample size is so small over such a long period of time that it may seem asinine because you're like, well, it's been a year. But right. it's like, okay, well, if you played <laughs> one tournament a week or one tournament a month, right. I mean, that's oh, between sure. 12 and 50 tournaments sure. a week. Uh, I mean, a year. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I, I will have that in a, in one day <laughs> sometimes, right, you know. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. you know, pe- people will overanalyze that and be like, well, I haven't cashed a tournament in a year. But it's like, man, you've played 15 yeah, tournaments. Exactly. Yeah. And, you, so, and you're only supposed to cash 10%. Yeah. Right? Well, well, random, well right? I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not that you're supposed to cash <laughs> X amount. I mean, like I said, if, 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 if you're playing a uh, uh, stake that you are theoretically crushing, for example, if you only right. play like the live $50 tournaments and you were like an excellent 
MTT grinder that you grinded your teeth online, you, you played some bigger stuff live, you played some live cash, you feel like a, you, you got a good grasp on the theory, but you're like, I'm just going to play $50 and $100 live binds, and I just want to see how well I can do. I mean, you can be cashing like 6, 7 out of 10 and have like a 200% ROI on mm -hmm. them. I mean, but it's all relative. I mean, those, those things are going to... What I want to say is those are, I guess... Um, not anomalies, but they are basically anomalies. And I mean, certain people are going to be better at certain stakes, and you're going to see certain people crushing certain stakes, and you're going to see people losing at certain stakes. Right. But I'd say, in, in overall, you should be looking to learn the game from a correct way in order to maximize your EV long term, mm -hmm. and everything else is going to take care of itself. All right. So, Good stuff. Well, any any final word you want to share with the, the listeners? Um. No, I mean, I guess thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in again. And I did listen to some of those other, uh, the I think I listened to the Joe and the Matt one. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan. Hopefully uh, you'll continue having some more guys on. I'm excited to listen to Aaron's. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to just grinding. There's a big series coming up on WPN, so I'm looking to battle that and then uh, just get ready to uh, you know, battle in the summer here. Hopefully, we have some good things happening. We got some MSPTs coming up. Are you doing the MSPTs? Yeah, that's right. I, Vegas? Yep, yep. Yeah. I, I will be playing the MSPTs before Vegas. Yep, uh, I'm looking forward. There's one in Canterbury, right? Or yeah, yep, I yep. Canterbury, actually, yeah. in Canterbury is really close to my house, so that's yeah. actually my favorite event because it feels like home turf. So, well, I, since you mentioned Vegas, what's your Vegas plan? Do you uh, go there for the whole series? Or no, I'm not or? going there for the whole series. I, I I went there for a good chunk last year, and I, I was supposed to play my first main last year, but it didn't work out. I had to come home for some family stuff. But this year, I will be playing the main, and um, I'll probably I I don't want to be there for like you know three weeks or whatever three and a half weeks like it was last year. I think I'll just do three short stints there hmm. probably the first two for uh, surrounding the millimaker and the monster stack and then play some couple you know two three bracelet events depending on if i like bust those or whatever whatever goes on um and then maybe some size side stuff at the venetian or whatever well, i can tell you there's gonna be some serious fish out there because me and some buddies are going out there for a week this year so um, I, if, if you're out there the same time we are you know we'll come watch you don't I, come to us we'll no, come no, watch no. you i wish you guys the best of luck and uh hopefully we see each other on some final tables out there are you guys going out there for that mspt and no, no no we're gonna go out there and it's around the marathon okay uh, i don't know if we'll play the marathon we might just play dailies yeah you know, yeah, yeah that marathon seems like a really good one. Oh though. my gosh it's, yeah. it, it, I, I keep going back and forth on it i mean 100 minute levels, yeah. $2,600 buy in, five day event. But it really like but the allows edges are going to multiply yeah. though too for those who have the edge. But yeah. it allows you to be patient and, and and allows yeah it allows you to really pick your spots. It allows yeah. you to really get a good feel for most of your tables to really like utilize your stack your EV the most and and yeah I would say it's probably like the should be like the least variance MTT if like you play it correctly you know and right. you know what you're doing I mean you can't just like knit your way into the money either sure, but it course, yeah, yeah but it gives you like the most uh, it gives you like the best shot to utilize your stack to your advantage yeah for sure so so we'll see well good luck on the summer yeah, hopefully thanks, we'll, uh, we'll catch it. up either before during or maybe after we Celebrate your uh, your bracelet. <laughs> Let's do it all three times. <laughs> I keep telling people, you play yeah. all for Africa. You, you're on the Rec Poker Podcast. Good things are going to happen. So right. I, I look I forward like to it. it. I like it, man. Thanks. Okay, well, thanks once again to Vlad for taking the time to be interviewed with us. I also want to give a quick shout-out to a Nancy Patterson uh, from Arizona. Nancy sent a great email 
uh, encouraging us with the work that we're doing at the Rec Poker Podcast. And uh, I want to thank her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to others who have encouraged us. I want to invite all of you to reach out to us. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, all of those things. You can do that through Rec Poker on Twitter. We have a Facebook group. Feel free to email me directly, stevefredland at gmail.com. Or any other way that you want to get a hold of us, let us know uh, how it's going. And uh, again, thank you to the Free Poker Network for supporting what we're doing here. And we will catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks.